Peter, how are you doing? Oh, Frank, doing really good, doing really good. Just sitting here, relaxing, happy in the knowledge we've finally covered all of the Edge of the Earth cards. Feels feels good to have um, got that project knocked on the head, actually, and then move on to something new. Yeah. Um, sort of can't face the thought of going back and looking at more cards, to be honest with you. Oh, okay. Um, yeah, actually, that's why I'm calling you um, about that. I was just working through putting away all the Edge of the Earth cards that we've covered, you know, the complete collection, and I found a small selection of cards at the back of my box oh, that no. I don't think we've oh, talked about. Don't don't tell me. We've, we've got to dive back in. I've, ta- got to dive back I've tidied in. up the wheel as well. It's, uh, it's Get the wheel back out. Right, okay, We're I'll back in it. business. Right. One last time. Okay, I'll give it a, I'll give it a spin. Uh, it's landed on a on a weird arcane question mark symbol. <laughs> what could that possibly wow. mean? <laughs> when did that get put on there? That's weird. Yeah. Okay, well we're gonna need support as well, so let's get a final guest in. I'll spin my wheel. Oh. I thought you didn't you What? Peter, I thought you covered this name up didn't we didn't we paint over we it? did we did i actually i we, we i got out my my saw and i saw that section out but it looks like it's it's regrown but it's kind of glowing this like disgusting green <laughs> color it's sean from the mythos busters well let's get him in Hello, you're listening to Drawn to the Flame, a podcast for fans of Arkham Horror, the card game. We're sometimes fortnightly, we're sometimes monthly. I'm your host, Frank, and today I'm joined by... It's me, Peter. Hello, Frank. Hi, Peter. How are you doing? Doing fantastically well. Uh, And for the the final time for the foreseeable future, I get to say today we're joined by... Hello and welcome (laughs) to episode... I don't know what episode is this, of Mythos Busters. I'm Sean... Today with me are... Wow, wow. <laughs> oh, where am I? Where am I? This is weird. It's not too late to uninvite you. <laughs> <laughs> Please, you couldn't even begun. get me off your wheel, guys. I'm, I'm <laughs> indelible. Well, thank you so much for having me. I am super excited to be here. We're really glad to have you, Sean. I'm, fans of our show and fans of your show will know that there's a something we lovingly refer to as a blood feud between mm. the shows. Mm-hmm. But, you know, we also, Peter and I have been very upfront that we actually met as fans of Mythos Busters. So we're really delighted that you can join us for what I hope will be our final second look. Just in case people haven't heard your voice before, where where are you from in the Arkham world? Where where might people find your stuff? Um, well, boy, so we, uh, I helped do a podcast called Mythos Busters, uh, if you haven't heard of it. We, we talk for endless hours uh, in, in a rambling sort of way about Arkham Horror, the card game. We do a decent amount of community organizing contests, that sort of thing. Uh, and also we 
somehow have fallen sideways into owning like the community discord uh still not quite sure exactly how that happened but it's it's kind of a place on the internet where you might uh come talk about arkham so that's that's kind of where i dwell yeah you made one of the friendliest places to talk about arkham that's i think why it's so successful right i i mean we we dug out the basement but the community kind of did the rest of the building so i don't know how much credit we can take for it it's a great community with our other guests, we've um, actually asked them what they like about the particular faction we're reviewing. Mm. So if you could just briefly tell us what you like about all five factions and also all the <laughs> possible combinations that make them into multi-class cards, that would be great. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so I, I suppose anyone anyone who knows my work with Mythos Busters might have expected I'd come in as, as Sean the Purple, but I return to you today as, as Sean of many colors, uh, <laughs> encompassing them all, and this is going to be a wild ride. Awesome. Well, should we dive in and do our first card? Old Shotgun is a level 2 guardian and rogue multi-class card. It is zero cost. It has a combat icon. It has item, weapon, and firearm traits. It has uses zero ammo. Hmm. While playing an event, treat Old Shotgun's uses value as two. Then it has action, spend one ammo, fight. You get plus three combat for this attack. Instead of its standard damage, this attack's damage is equal to the amount you succeed by or fail by if you fail and would damage another investigator to a minimum of one and to a maximum of three. It takes up two hand slots. Mm -hmm. Okay. I've decided that we start with like quite the complicated card. Mm -hmm. The zero cost, zero uses, two-handed two weapon. This, this card is so peculiar, there's actually a section in the rulebook dedicated to what it means, right? In the campaign mm -hmm. guide. Yeah. Frank, do you want to tell us what it means? What this, while playing an event, treat its uses value as two. So this means that if you use an event or somehow have a way of putting this into play while also playing an event, the uses value is two, which means you put two ammo on it instead of zero. So in Guardian, for example, Ever Vigilant allows you to put various event, uh, assets into play one at a time. So that would put this into play with two ammo. And in Rogue, another easy example is Sleight of Hand. If you play Sleight of Hand, this comes in with two ammo. But if you just play this spending an action, the play action as normal, you don't. Or something like Swift Reload as well, I guess? Yeah, so... Veronica, who was on the previous episode, actually has done a really useful two-minute-long YouTube video. You can check it out on her channel until the end of time. That's an old shotgun FAQ, and she has listed the cards that this works with, and I'm just going to read them out because this would be really helpful. So ever vigilant sleight of hand. Then also, if you play You Owe Me One and play this out of someone else's hand, that's playing an event. <laughs> okay, yep, yeah, yep. Yeah. Untimely transaction. So if you uh, sell this to someone else, it gets the ammo. Swift reflexes, so if that gives you an action, but the action is part of playing swift reflexes, you can play this. Oh, God, and then head. also the really cool one, Dexter's ability during a skill test that is triggered by an event. So say you play a Spectral Razor as Dexter in one of the um, squiggly free boy trigger windows. windows. In the, exactly, Squiggly Boy windows. Thank you, Joy. <laughs> squiggly Boy windows. In the playing of Spectral uh, Razor you could also use Dexter's free trigger ability to throw this into play. And because that's while you're playing an event, it would come in with two ammo rather than zero. And then there's also, as you mentioned, some ways of adding ammo to this card. So extra ammo, custom ammo, contraband, venturer. 
and also Swift Reload, because when you play Swift Reload, you're playing an event, so the uses value of the old shotgun goes up to two, which means you put two ammo on it because you refill it to its uses value. Phew. Anyway, I think that's the ways you get ammo on it. Is it any good? That is a long walk to two ammo, guys. I won't lie to you. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, I, I, I mean, it's interesting. Uh, I know that's, that's maybe a little bit of a curse word on this podcast, but I'm going to go ahead and use it anyway. Uh, it's a zero-cost asset that can get you three damage per use, which is not nothing. Mm-hmm. But boy, you really have to... It's 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 really indirect ammo, isn't it? You you have to you have to think really hard about how you're actually going to get this into play usefully. I, I guess what what appeals to me is that if you want to make the most out of it, you're going to want to put cards in your deck which add or, or cheat it into play. It's cheap to get into play, which means that you can spend the resources you saved not spending on the gun to put more ammo on it. And it's probably more efficient to play like two copies of extra ammo than it is to to put play one big shotgun with that much ammo on it. Am I making sense? It's just like the mm-hmm. fact that it's cheap means that those extra ammunition cards kind of pay for themselves more than they would if you've got a card which is expensive to play and comes with some ammo. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I, I don't know whether that makes sense, but it sort of feels like there's something there. <laughs> it, it does because you, when you're playing this card, you you look at that zero cost and that's very juicy. But you also have to consider the cost of whatever else you have to play to get this thing operable. Whether that cost is in tempo because you have to wait for a specific moment before you can play your weird event. And Frank, those were some wonderful examples that you listed. I uh, I honestly did not think about hopping this into play during an event skill test that that one that's that's special Mm -hmm. there is another option as well actually joey the rat um Mm. sorry wasn't on that list again while playing an event in the skill test joey the rat could for one put this into play for you and then it would be during so you don't just have to be dexter fun yeah Yeah, anyways of doing that but yeah I i agree with you sean it is a lot of work and it also means that this card you can't just pop it in your deck and be fine you have to build around it and so i actually kind of am approaching in my head in the other way which is if i'm playing someone like tony and i'm maybe already playing sleight of hand and running lots of guns i maybe think about sneaking this in as weapon five Mm -hmm. but i'm not running this as my main weapon and then like i'm already running some of those fun ammo cards because i like doing that in tony if you're not running switchblade obviously yeah, and then this kind of sneaks in as another option. That's it's interesting uh, to to be an offhand weapon and also take off two hands. That's that's yeah. That's probably yeah. honestly the hardest thing on this card is that it it occupies both hand slots. So mm-hmm. unless you're doing bandolier or some other kind of shenanigans, you're devoting you're devoting your gun holders to to this card. Mm-hmm. <sighs> yeah. Yeah. There is maybe a sort of theme deck that's like you've got the quick draw holster with your Derringer in it. That's your main weapon. I'm doing air quotes here. And then every so often a bigger enemy arrives and out from under your arm comes the old shotgun, which you (laughs) blast apart. Sort of a little bit like pulling the Lupara out, Mm -hmm. but with a lot more hoops to jump through. Yeah, I too like that scene in Terminator. (laughs) (laughs) I was going to say, I think... What you've both said is is absolutely accurate. If you are building around it, at least it is free to play. So the other cards you need to put in your deck 
it, it's making up for the tempo here of having to put those other cards in your deck. It does sort of strike me, maybe, considering it's both hand slots and it's level 2 Guardian, maybe someone like Joe doesn't mind it, and he can grab some kind of reload events and things if, if he wants, mm-hmm. like, occasionally to be able to fight well. And it's a 3 combat boost, which is nice for a guy who's got a relatively middling combat to begin with. Mm-hmm. Maybe. I have run Bandelier 2 in Joe because his twin Colts take up two hands anyway and he likes the willpower boost to sort of shore up his willpower. And I've run extra ammo because I like putting more ammo on those Colts. It could sort of sneak in there. Which illustrates a good point that this is 2 XP. We've mentioned it on other second looks. Like that break point between 2 and Mm 3 is particularly significant because any off-glass Guardian or any off-glass Rogue for some reason could make like a weird shotgun deck if they wanted to uh, to that point i was i was wondering yorick in the back of my mind does the timing work that if yorick kills an enemy while playing a fight event that his ability could trigger and throw this into play with two ammo on it it's, or is his ability mm, trigger after that event would be it done might, might be after but i don't know because that might be the strongest argument that i can i can concoct after you defeat an enemy, play an asset from your discard pile, paying its cost. After you defeat an enemy is what? Step 7, you resolve the damage, but before the event stops resolving. Because there's that whole thing, isn't there, with Yorick, about which cards can be replayed by him. Because some some cards, the cards that were committed to the skill test, don't make it into the discard pile mm-hmm. until after the timing point, right? right. So I commit my second guard dog to a fight test kill an enemy that guard dog isn't in my discard pile to be replayed because mm-hmm. that's after step eight it's, when you tidy everything up it's hanging in purred card tory yeah exactly i would say tentatively yes hmm. but hmm. i'm very tentatively yes i get a lot of <laughs> rules things wrong or nearly wrong so you know whoever it is who's shouting at their podcast now send me a message mm-hmm. Explain why I'm wrong, and uh, I'll thank you for the lesson. Yeah, that's a cool point. The other thing I wanted to add from a theme point of view is this definitely seems like it should be a survivor weapon. Mm-hmm. Uh, I understand <laughs> yeah, mechanically yeah. why it would be hard to fit into survivor, but the fact that it's an old shotgun um, and it doesn't have any ammo on it and you've got to do tricks to actually get ammo on it, that always feels mm-hmm. very survivory to me. For real, it mm-hmm. feels like you're going to the back backyard shed and like grabbing this off the wall, and it's it's rusted to oblivion, and you're scrambling around the shed to find the shells. That's, yeah. that's exactly what this mm-hmm. is evocative of. It is a non-illicit rogue weapon as well. If you want to build mm-hmm. a, a Preston shotgun deck, <laughs> Preston sleight of hand shotgun. Don't, yeah, don't tempt yeah. me, Frodo. Is it the only <laughs> non-illicit? rogue firearm i think it might be yeah i think all the rest of them are i don't know whether is the the upgraded rogue thompson illicit yeah 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 well there you go yeah um, it's fascinating i know some people really love the shotgun style whether that's the original shotgun or also the sawn off Mm -hmm. and this is another card like that if you really like that scaling damage and we've seen you know part of the reason that double or nothing was forbidden is that if you can reliably get to high numbers you can do huge amounts of damage and this is a yeah again like a potentially very cheap weapon that could be doing six damage in two actions which is like boss killer territory so yeah that is the old shotgun a thinker to say the least
Peter, do you want to do the next card or no? No, I'm, 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 happy, I'm happy to spell? dive in next. Uh, okay, we have Professor William Webb, Finder of Hidden Connections, level two. This is a three cost seeker and survivor asset, and it has an intellect and a wild icon. He is ally and miskatonic traded, and has uses three secrets. Uh, as a reaction, when you successfully investigate, exhaust Professor William Webb and spend one secret. Choose an item card in your discard pile and add it to your hand. Instead of discovering a clue at your location, you may discover a clue at a connecting location. He, of course, uses the ally slot and has one health and three sanity. Should we just quickly examine how he's changed from level zero? Yeah, so zero doesn't have the wild icon, uh, has the same number of secrets, only has two sanity, and then essentially it's an either-or. You can... Instead of discovering a clue, choose an item in your discard pile and add it to your hand, or discover a clue at a connecting location. This is choose an item in your discard pile and add it to your hand, and instead of discovering a clue at a location, you may discover a clue at a connecting location. I do so love it when ors become ands. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's almost the opposite of the original multi-class cards that had sort of a base ability that split into two for mm -hmm. the factions. With this, with the XP, they kind of the more xp you get they mash the abilities together and you get all of them mm -hmm. and i suppose the nuance here as well is that you have the choice of returning an item and getting a clue at your location returning an item and getting a clue at a connecting location because that that instead of discovering a clue you may discover a clue at a connecting location is optional as well you get the clue so either way here and you you get you a clue either way yeah yes uh, it absolutely fits in with the kind of Jack builds we can see out of Edge of the Earth, where he's pinging mm -hmm. backwards and forwards and using field work and pathfinding and the, the telescope and things like that. So being able to pick clues more selectively off locations is, is good, right? And recurring ice picks is good. <laughs> well, I mean, everyone likes recurring ice picks. <laughs> Jack build, yeah. Importantly, it's recursion in Seeker if you're doing something with ice picks or any other items. And recursion... like broadly has been a survivor thing for most of the game. Webb is a, obviously takes the ally slot and has a limited number of secrets to do that, but he does give you item recursion. Now, are there any uh, uh, it, item events in the game? Because it, I just find it a little bit odd that it's item card instead of item asset, which is what I would normally expect. I don't think there are any item events, but, you know, future design space. <laughs> Mm, item skills yeah no i don't think so there's a couple of quirks of the wording in edge of the earth i wonder if it's just the influence of of jeremy and wanting things to be slightly tidier rules wise not that it's been very untidy before yeah maybe putting assets rather than card is like confusing to certain players who you know yeah it could be point. Now, so so essentially, this dude is—I'm going to say—scavenging in a meat suit. And scavenging, oh man, scavenging is an interesting card. Uh, depending on who you talk to, it's either great or garbage, um, which I suppose is very thematic for for scavenging in general. But I, I think it was always an easier sell because it didn't occupy an ally slot. That's a pretty big ask for for this sort of thing. This really strikes me as a chance to take scavenging in seeker mm -hmm. rather than offering something hugely beneficial to survivors the 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 kind of seeker half of it is 
probably less inspiring than the Survivor hard of, uh, half of it. If you want recursion in, in Survivor, you've kind of got a lot of really good options already that don't... Uh, well, as I say, don't require you to successfully investigate. Scavenging, of course, does require you to successfully investigate. Uh, but, you know, you've got other cards where you can fish stuff out of your bin. Scavenging requires two or more on the success, right, to trigger. So that's mm, something. Yeah. Like, if, if you're a more marginally intellected uh, investigator, William Webb is, is going to get you that recursion without you having to hit big intellect numbers. Mm-hmm. It's also a lot more limited. Um, we talked about kind of ice pick recursion, and I think that card can potentially get quite obscene if you've got a scavenging mm. level two, and then you've got two ice picks, and they're both just circulating on every single test you're replaying them. You don't even need scavenging too, Peter. Well, of course, it's fast. fast. Yeah, yeah. 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 <laughs> if only there was some way for you to, to have a car that could be repeatedly used to play for tools. <laughs> but, you know, here we are. Yeah, I think he's he's just kind of straight up good. <laughs> uh, the question I've got is that what other good combos have we got for items that seekers can take that you might want to be recurring with him? Hmm. There's maybe um, fingerprint kits, right? If you're just doing infinite fingerprint kits and chucking them out. Um, I go straight to, for items, things like magnifying glass and Hawkeye folding camera. And they're the opposite of this, aren't they? You really don't want them in your bin. You want them in your hands. Well, upgraded magnifying glass could get there because you can pop it back to your hand when you need to commit. Of course, you know, if you're committing it to anything other than an investigate test, I guess is the only reason you would do that if you're just taking a non-investigate intellect test. So Mm -hmm. maybe corner case. Historically, there's also that min commit the segments of onyx Mm -hmm. because they all get two icon. They all become unexpected courage to do that. And then you collect them back when you need them, when you've collected all three. I'm not that sold on doing that. The whole point of Segment of Onyx is to get the Pendant of the Queen. You know, yes, it's nice that they have a wild icon, but I feel like that's a bit of a trap to convince you to to commit rather than assemble the Pendant. Boy, that is one of the saddest committals in the game, isn't it? When you're like, oh, this is is all I have, guys. Yeah. I once had to commit a gold pocket watch to a test, so. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, that was also very sad, yeah. The thing about Min, though, is that she can already take scavenging. Yeah. So if you're doing yeah. that, I think you want a card that's cheaper, more reusable, and doesn't use up your ally slot. Mm-hmm. Is there a possibility here of a sort of why not both as well, where if you really want to le- lean into recursion, you can run two copies of Scavenging, two copies of Resourceful, and two copies of William Webb, and whichever you see, you start recurring these I- these items that you want to recur. I wonder if that's that's part of it, that rather than comparing the two, you just lean into it. Yeah. Well, I kind of feel like if you're going to do the item recursion, you know, with, with ice picks, it's easy because they're fast. The fact that this doesn't have the, the benefit of scavenging two, where you can then just put it into play, uh, you probably want to couple this with, I suppose if you're using cheap items, that's one thing, but you probably also want to have some kind of resource engine to be able to repeatedly play whatever it is that you're recurring. Which, God, I'm just trying to think. It, it, one of the first scavenging builds I ever, I ever built, and I'm not saying this is good. This is just where my <laughs> mind went. It was for grotesque statue back in the core set days. It was, it was a gym grotesque statue, quote unquote recursion build. Yeah, it, it barely worked, but uh, <laughs> yeah, it is interesting to to be able to 
you know, devote a slot to something that normally would disc- discarded, normally is is limited use, normally you'd be cycling in and out, but to be able to play as though, like, I'll probably be able to have this in play most of the game. Something like, something even as pedestrian as Grotesque Statue gets a lot better when you can mitigate the Chaos Bag for a greater portion of the game. Mm-hmm. Yeah, mm-hmm. And, and I feel like I know a lot of people like the kind of rabbit foot. This is another min deck where you, you scavenging rabbit's foot and you just commit the rabbit's foot Mm. Um, every every investigate test you do for the two wild icons, then you succeed. You scavenging to bring the rabbit's foot back. Um, I think, Ooh, or the classic Wendy commit your amulet all the time build. Yeah, 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 mm-hmm. exactly. Yeah, William's only got three charges. To, oh, sorry, secrets to be able to do that. So feels like you want something a bit more high impact to be doing mm. that with. Yeah, I th- I think you know I think. The interaction with Icepick is enough to make him really, really useful. I think, was it Veronica on last time who said, do we look at Icepick with Veronica? Yeah. Did she say that it was like the kind of, the, what's the... Scavenging payoff. It's the payoff. That's that's the phrase I'm looking for. Exactly, mm-hmm. yeah. She, she, she said that, didn't she? It was like the payoff yeah. for that kind of build. You've got that card that's really like kind of the icing on the cake. A very cheap, fast, fast cheap, yeah. asset which has a repeatable effect that you sacrifice it for. Same classes yeah. too, right? As as Mr. Professor William Webb. It's all the mm-hmm. clues are pointing in that direction, aren't they? Mm-hmm. A hidden yeah. connection that we found. I also feel like he's he's very, very concerned in the middle of this camp in Antarctica that he's left the gas on. <laughs> I, I feel like that's the only thing that could cause him to make that face. Oh no! His, his eye, his, his, he's like holding a tablet, but his eye line doesn't quite line up with a tablet. Nope. <laughs> like he's maybe on the tablet. It says, "Check you haven't left the gas on." Boom! Realization strikes William. <laughs> and not to not to drill too hard on art on an audio only format because mentioning that we're doing that forgives it. Right? That's the rule. <laughs> <laughs> but I I like I love the expressiveness of the characters that Romana uh, Kendlick uh, uh, gives us. She does mm. amazing expressive uh, characters. Sometimes they're almost a little too stylistic for my taste. It it worked really well when she did Hobbits in Lord of the Rings. But God, I just love the faces on the characters she gives. Mm, yeah the art on the glasses that you can see the reflection yeah is, yeah and incredible. she did right of seeking so like that that sort of thing too like she's very very good mm. yeah no she's really good and peter you mentioned the secrets let's just briefly before we move on acknowledge that in seeker there's loads of ways of adding secrets to cards <laughs> including everyone's favorite card truth from fiction zero or two but also the big one now is ariadne's twine so for 3 XP, you can turn a resource into a secret every single turn, which means that Professor William Webb stops being a three-secret card and starts being an unlimited card. And that's where I first saw Professor William Webb and Ariadne's Twine in use in that jack deck that was cycling ice picks, and it was really scarily good. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> so yeah. Should we, should we move on then? Let's move on. It's me now, and I am reading us the first... Of four spells that we're going to look at. This is the brand of Cthuga. Gesundheit. A <laughs> guardian of mystic, two cost, one XP asset with a combat icon. It's a spell, uses six charges, action fight. For this attack, you may use willpower instead of combat. Importantly, you may use willpower instead of combat. And you get plus one skill value. 
If you succeed, spend one or two charges. Instead of its standard damage, this attack deals one damage for each charge spent. If you succeed by zero, lose one action. And it takes up the arcane slot. But I'm going to carry straight on because there's also a level four version of this card. I'm just going to point out the differences. So still the same classes, still two cost. It's gained a willpower icon, so it has willpower in combat. And it goes up to uses nine charges rather than six now. Again, the option to use willpower instead of combat, and you get plus two rather than plus one skill value. On success, you have a choice now of spending one, two, or three charges for one, two, or three damage. And again, if you succeed by uh, zero, you lose something, but this time it's two actions rather than one. I hope that's okay to do two in, two cards in one, but I think they're pretty similar. Yes, no, I think that's fine. Um, it seems like a lot of charges, right? But I think our experience is you do burn through those charges very quickly. <laughs> mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. If you want to be doing two damage, then the level one brand of Cthulhu has three three attacks in it, right? Mm-hmm. It does have the benefit that if you have a couple of one health enemies, you can you can kind of save a charge. Um, by mm. spend like half a charge if you compare it to something like shriveling. The yeah. biggest, the biggest trade up for me on these ones is you only spend those charges if you succeed. Gone are the days where you will waste two shriveling charges when the chaos bag decides to get mean and then be stuck with an empty shriveling. You are guaranteed six damage with this card, which is, which is not nothing. Yeah. Particularly, I think, to add to that, that the outlay is lower than Shriveling, which Mm -hmm. I think is the point of comparison, and lower than most reliable weapons as well in Guardian, that you're only paying two resources and one XP to have this guaranteed six damage. It works with either stat, so you're not having to commit to one or the other. The little plus one skill value at the level one, I think, is actually also a sleeper hit, Mm -hmm. that Mm -hmm. you just get that little boost in there as well, rather than... You know, with shriveling or with um, azure flame, it's saying you have to use willpower instead of combat, and the assumption is your willpower is so much better than your combat that you're enjoying the boost. Whereas with this, it says, yeah, whichever you pick, have a boost as well. I'll say it. I think this this is like the consummate offhand weapon. It's so offhand, it doesn't even take a hand. <laughs> yeah. But yeah. like you could have a two-handed weapon in your hands and be like, okay, well, if there's a moment where, like you said, if you've got one health left on an enemy, you don't really want to just punch it because that's not high enough up. I, I don't know. I just I, I think that uh, two cost is two cost and one XP makes this just so reachable for a lot of different reasons. Mm-hmm. So I've been slotting this in Lily mm-hmm. with a two-handed weapon, the Dragon Pole. Mm-hmm. This is a cheap card to get in play to start boosting the dragon pole and it's also yeah exactly perfect for the offhand normally i'm using the dragon pole for everything but particularly with the agility discipline that gives you three separate fighter evade actions having a series of spells that all fight you know in one scenario i did have two brands of kathuga down so i used that action to hit with a dragon pole attack with one brand attack with the other brand just gives you loads of options for either piling out loads of damage or doing little pings I, I too have played a similar Lily deck, and okay, so this this is my really really weird include that I will defend until my death. Though you you feel free to disagree with it, I threw in because Lily likes the dragon pull a lot. Most of her damage is actually going to be coming from her weapons in this build. I later yeah. upgraded into the Cyclopean Hammer, 
but I, I still had the brand of Cthulhu. I had uh, my initial level zero deck was like, what was it, like mists and scrying, just like cheap arcane slots. Torrent of power, guys. Torrent mm. of power when you've got, especially if you're playing across like a jack, a Monterey jack with one willpower, and you can just be like, okay, well, here's a torrent of power. I'll spend two charges. You, you probably passed this willpower test now. You're welcome. Mm. Really, really good card. If these are not like your mainstay for for fighting, mm-hmm. I like that. Yeah, the, a- any card with lots of charges go goes up in in power if the charges sort of become less valuable and you can spend them on torrent. God, I want more stuff like that. Give me more stuff that spends ammo for not doing fights. Give me more stuff that spends charges for not actually using the spell. I love that stuff. I think I I just totally agree with Sean here. I think. It was always the case, if you're running a Guardian, you'd like have five weapons, right? Uh, you'd have two of one, two of another, and then a one-off weapon that you might just play if, if, if it was your only option. But just being able to slot those weapons into different slots, more efficiently make use of, of all the slots you've got available. It's just nice, and it's so cheap. So cheap, two resources for this mm. as well. I think there's a lot to like here. Mm. And again, the off-glass access, I think, is really cool. Because because of the way you can tailor the, the stat you use. So you can sneak these into, say, Seth. If you're not looking for too much combat, but you want an option, you can use her willpower. But also if you drop this into, say, Skids, you're not going to be using the willpower, but you definitely can use your combat then. And it, I mean, it's not great, but it's okay. I would be remiss if I didn't bring up uh, this is a great weapon for Diana Stanley uh, in, in the same vein <laughs> because you can use fight in the early game and then once you get your willpower rolling then you can switch without having to do anything. And what do we make of this lose one or two actions penalty, mm. succeed by zero? If I, I gen- generally think a bit like right is you you play around it if you really need to. Um, if it's going to absolutely cripple you, obviously, sometimes you will have an option, right? If if you've got this as your as your offhand weapon, and it's popped up, and you don't have any other way of fighting enemies, it you might just you might get just get shafted. But I think if you're using these alongside other weapons, or you're doing some other stuff with it, you know, you can you can be considering you can boost beyond what you you might need. So you're going three up rather than two up. You can be taking those fight actions last action. I think there is ways to kind of play around it mm. and we've seen other cards that have got negative effects depending on what token you draw and you know you play around them if you need to and then you just suck up the consequences if you can't mm. i don't think it's i don't think it's the end of the world basically like right see it ends your turn yeah it's interesting though because because in a in a situation where you're fighting enemies specifically uh especially if it's an enemy that hits hard Losing an action can be worse than just straight up failing in in some cases. So yeah, you really, yeah. yeah. To your point, Peter, you really have to pay attention to the math and be like, okay, what is the how how can I get this skill in a place where I will least likely hit zero on this test based on what's in the in the chaos bag? Fail by one rather than fail by yeah, zero. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. By zero. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, and that plus one then actually starts to look a little bit less appealing because essentially. The difficulty threshold is moving by one because you really don't want to hit that succeed by zero. You want to hit that succeed by one plus. Mm-hmm. So the plus one kind of cancels out there in yep. a way. Gets a lot more appealing on the level four. I think the other thing I'd just add about then about the level four is that that can, again, it can only be three attacks if you want it to be, but that's three 
three damage attacks to kill off three beefier enemies. None of the that you know the the equivalent with shriveling is going up to level five and running the risk of the two horror per hit. Obviously, the risk here is two actions, which it says worse than two horror. But still, to have shriveling five option that also is much more toggleable mm-hmm. seems really cool. Level four is fantastic. I will stand till the end of the day. Uh, Mystic Enchanted Blade specifically mm. for that reason because if i want to swing for one damage i can do that if i want to swing for two damage i can do that and if i want to swing for three damage i also can do that and on top of that again i will harp on this the fact that you only spend those charges if you get the attack off is huge because i mean i don't know when i evaluate damage dealing things i always look at okay how many damage am I going to do per charge? How many charges does it have? What's you know what's my maximum damage threshold with this asset that I'm playing down? I mean, this compares very favorably to a lot of things uh, that you might hope to do damage with. Like the the bar comes in with what eight? Mm-hmm. Lightning gun has three ammo, does three a pop, so that's nine. Cool. Any of those? Well, it's lightning gun, so you're probably not going to miss, but it could miss. So you mm-hmm. might end up wasting some of those. You are guaranteed nine charges, nine damage with this thing, and. Uh, I, I really think that's solid. I like as well that the boost is unconnected from the damage you choose to do. Mm-hmm. It's not like like the bar. The more more ammo you spell, the more the more combat boost you get. Mm-hmm. With this, you're always going to get plus two. So that's plus two to help you hit a one health enemy. It's also plus two to help you hit a, a three health enemy or a six health enemy that you're going to try and hit twice. Which mm-hmm. I think is great. And I also love, uh, we'll talk about this with the other ones too, but uh, the upgraded sign magic is uh, a godsend to to those mm-hmm. who run purple cards. And in someone like Diana who could conceivably be hitting with a normal weapon in her hands and then be able to pop sign magic on on mm-hmm. like a later spell that she's doing and just have all these different options for dialing in exactly how much damage you want to do without wasting any of your charges or ammo or resources just just so super good these are fantastic cards now hey, this is this is something interesting and i this is bad this is bad as a content creator i cannot remember if we actually discussed this on mythos busters on the podcast or just amongst ourselves but i'm gonna throw this out to you guys how do you feel about mystic cards where you're paying a lot of xp to get an upgrade to it but the downside also increases so like upgraded storm of spirits was kind of one that that came up where you're you're paying 3 XP for it, and you are getting a greater upside, but you're also getting a greater downside. And, you know, Mystic stuff has always been in that interesting space where it's, you know, power at a cost, and there's there's always some risk to it. But if, you know, you're paying 4 XP for this card, and the the potential to lose 2 actions now is a thing, how do you guys feel? Do you, do you weigh that at all when you upgrade spells? I, I, honestly, I never think about it. <laughs> mm, sure. I just, I just want the good stuff. <laughs> I guess... You've got to balance it against. Now, this doesn't really apply. Like it, it, it applies its effects more consistently. Something like the brand of Cthulhu level four. You again, it doesn't technically it doesn't really apply because you know you, you might have failed by one, where suddenly you succeed by zero, and then you know you lose two actions instead of one, instead of failing rather. <laughs> <laughs> I think I weigh it up. Like I mitigated that I I fail less by having the, the the boosted skill value, rather than worry about what the negative effects are. 
Sure. So I think I just ignore it basically, <laughs> and 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 factor in that the card is more effective. That said, I think I will avoid needlessly upgrading a spell if you've mm. already got a high willpower from other other means as well. Sure. I've run shriveling three so often, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and shriveling five. I think I could count on one hand yeah. one the number time. of times I've run it. All took all took for me uh, one time. All took for me with shriveling five is to have one standalone game where I drew two bad stuff tokens in a row, and I'm like, all right, I'm out, I'm out. I, I can't yeah. do this anymore. Yeah. <laughs> and I wouldn't have said it was you know one horror was so much worse than two. Mm-hmm. But, I mean, obviously it could kill you off in in a matter of token pulls, mm-hmm. but um, that's the one where I think. I, I don't think I consciously think, oh, it's not worth it, but it's I just don't go there. Mm-hmm. And particularly if you're running Arcane Research, that upgrade in theory is free at some point, but still I'd find other things to upgrade or worry about. Mm-hmm. I think I'd also add that these spells, and we should move on to the other ones, mm-hmm. I would say that most of the punishments are pretty mild. They're not that in bad. In the scheme of things. Losing an action losing is probably the worst, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, losing two actions, yeah. Right, well, Sean, do you want to read us Divination? I would love to. So Divination is a level one Seeker and Mystic asset. It's three cost. It has an intellect icon. It has a lovely pool art, Mirror of Galadriel going on there. It is spell and augury traded. It uses four charges. It has action investigate. For this investigation, you may use willpower instead of intellect, and you get plus one skill value. If you succeed, spend one or two charges. Instead of discovering a clue at your location, discover one clue at your location for each charge spent. If you succeed by zero, choose and discard a card from your hand. And it, of course, takes up an arcane slot. Uh, And then moving to level four, uh, we've now gained an intellect icon. No, sorry, we've gained a willpower icon. It now uses six charges. You get plus two skill value. Uh, and you can spend one, two, or three charges and d- discover one clue for each of them. And if you succeed by zero, you now discard two cards from your hand. Frank and I nearly came to blows over this card. We had, oh. we had a, quite a long argument. and I think... Every time you tell this story, it gets more yeah. and more extreme what's happened. When Frank punched me with this card... <laughs> I see the black eye. That's a, that's a good mean right hook right there. I think that the, the difference between this one and, and Brand is... I think it's easier to name a lot of investigators who would take Brand because it sits alongside weapons in your arcane slot. This card, if you're a mystic taking it, you already have a lot of good competition for clue-discovering spells. Uh, I mean, you know, you've got like Eye of Chaos, Rite of Seeking, you've got Sixth Sense, all of which are really nice clue-finding spell cards you've already got access to. And Seeker has better options in faction as well. So you might be taking either something that's boosting your skill value going in a, in a hand slot, uh, or you're taking, say, a fingerprint kit, which costs one more, will find you Two more six, clues. six clues, right? Rather than mm-hmm. four. And you want to be using... I, I don't know. It, it just it didn't seem to have as as obvious a home as the brand did. Like, Guardians mm. like like the brand because they can run alongside weapons and still use their combat. Both other factions in for this card probably have better <laughs> better cards they can use in their own respective factions. Mm. Um, so I think it's hard to find a good home for this. 
You've just summed up exactly my position in our um, so Frank friendly Vahem discussion. So Frank disagreed with me when I said this. <laughs> no, <laughs> what are you doing? This is exactly, he's just taken my my words. So yeah, and, and to, to flesh that out to the listener, I, I didn't dislike this card, but I was really scratching my head, like for exactly those reasons, sort of what it doesn't really see off Sixth Sense or Right of Seeking or Clairvoyance for me in Mystic, and it felt like a sort of counterintuitive way to get clues in Seeker. What I would say is that obviously it adds more ways in either faction, which I think is good. It does add that toggleable ability that, Sean, you mentioned. Like, I I think that is actually an understated ability Mm -hmm. to someone's hit a location and got three clues and you can scoop the last one if you need to with a boost and you pick the faction, uh, pick the skill, which is good. And I think I particularly like the level four version for the ability to toggle even more between one, two, and three. I think that's really cool. Mm-hmm. So yeah, so that's kind of where I'm at. I don't think I've convinced myself yet. I have actually been testing them though to try and see how I feel with them, I suppose. Is there anything in the fact that I almost think that the level one, the level one one will be more useful because it 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 has out of faction access for anyone who can access Seeker or Mystic as their as their um, second class mm. choice, mm. and it's only one XP, so it gets over that like the edge of the earth investigator tax. Um, mm. So you know, uh, Montre Jack could take it without using either a, a level zero slot or like mm. spending too much experience. I don't know whether there's something to be said for that. Um, I can't remember what did when when you had a go at me about this card. What did I respond with? <laughs> I can't scroll back far enough in my messenger chat. An uppercut? Was it an uppercut? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. One of your points was was that it was arcane slotted, so it gave and and also that it it didn't have to be better than any of those cards because it worked in a different way. Right. Okay. Yeah. And yeah. I would say now, for instance, and you can laugh at me for this, but in my recent Norman deck. I upgraded a fingerprint kit because I was using a lot of hands with Astronomical Atlas and Livre Dibon into a Divination level four. Yeah. So yeah. it gave me the power. This is a multiplayer. It gave me the power to get lots of clues quickly. It was cheaper, which I really liked. It gave me a bigger boost and a choice of stat to use. So that was also good. Like depending if I had willpower icons, I might switch to willpower. So all of those things actually sort of contributed to making it good oh and i drew cards like a demon so i didn't care about the downside sean what do you make of these two because we've talked a lot well let's see if i can bridge the distance here because i actually am pretty positive on these cards Mm -hmm. i think that their maximized value is very specific to player count so for instance the the where this is strongest i think is in the the level four divination I really like uh, up. Uh, uh, is it level four? Red of seeking that gets you three clues. Yeah, yeah. It, that's, a, that's a phenomenal card <laughs> in three player. So, so what I find with cluvering, if you will, focusing on on clue acquisition, is your tempo and your speed that you're able to just clear a location is super important, especially if you're specializing and you know the other people on the team uh, uh, are not able to help you at all. So contrasting this to something like Fingerprint Kit or to a Rite of Seeking or a Clairvoyance, those can get the job done, but none of them can all in one and go. Uh, you know, that toggleable thing that you were talking about, Frank, is, is that you can just clear a three-clue location with this. In three-player, this is a baller card because 
there is no resource more precious in Arkham than actions. Uh, don't let any click economists tell you otherwise. And the ability to just clear clear a location in one action and then move on to whatever you're doing next is is pretty big, especially in some of these scenarios like, I don't know, I'm looking at you where the gods dwell. Oh. Yeah, move in, grab, move out, whatever it is. And furthering that argument, divination level one is going to be really good in like one to two player. Uh, because mm-hmm. in one to two player, you're going to be in a situation where probably the other investigator has a little bit of help. Uh, or maybe this is your little bit of help in in someone like Lily, where it might come up where you'll just want to grab one clue sometimes, or it'll come up where you've split off. There's a one per location that you find, and and you've got that option too. I I just think the understated Lily flex- can't take them, but yes. <laughs> oh God, I do that all the time. Okay, <laughs> so right, it's a par for the course yeah, for this, these this, investigators. Yeah, we've, we've dubbed it class conflict uh, over in Mythos Busters where you do the thing where you're like, okay, so I've got Jack. I'm going to upgrade his lock picks. I'm going to... Yeah. And then your partner yeah. goes, nope, no, you're not. I'll say one other thing that you reminded me of when you said that, maybe which is where I'm a little bit less keen on divination. Brand, for two costs, you get three attacks if you mm-hmm. go for maximum hits. Mm-hmm. And so playing an asset and then getting three uses out of me out of it to me feels like good value. And this is obviously player and you get two uses max if you're using it to that kind of like I want maximum efficiency. Mm-hmm. And I think that for me is also then a, a, I find that difficult to square away. You know, when you play a flashlight, you get your three clues from it over three actions. That seems okay. And I think, I, I think that's definitely influenced by playing solo a lot where actions are so vital mm-hmm. that if I'm going to play an asset and it's only going to help me twice, it, I find it hard to square away even if the help it's giving me is a good help i just still am like oh okay yeah i mean i'll add if you do play it solo you can still you could use it on four uh one two locations right you could could, yeah or or two two one clue and one two clue or or whatever mix and Mm. match of those you want and Um, you're guaranteed all four clues if i'm playing solo i'm running six cents if i'm a mystic and if i'm a seeker i don't need to spend one xp to get single clues mm-hmm. like and that's that's why it's gone seriously wrong if i feel like this is the card i need to help me get clues yeah yeah and that's why i think these ones like weirdly maximize with player count because i don't know mm-hmm. that i'd look at yeah. this in solo either but in two player it gets a lot juicier because your options are going to be wider and you know it, you bring up an interesting point frank and i think it's it's at least interesting to analyze at level zero, but like clue acquisition is always more expensive to what would seem like comparable damage for enemies, right? So if you compare mm. like the basic accelerators that we have, you know, the 45 automatic is a four ammo, four cost, plus one to the skill, plus one damage, right? Compare that to the fingerprint kit, only hops in with three secrets. You have to exhaust it to use it, and then you get one additional clue. So mm. it's just, they they definitely have a, and I think rightfully so, because you don't want clue acquisition to get insane, but they, they definitely have a, a harder clamp on clue acceleration uh, from a design standpoint. So they're always probably going to be a little less juicy for, you know, from an uh, efficiency perspective. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, I, I agree with that. And I think, yeah, maybe maybe my position can be boiled down to looking at it mostly from solo. And that's okay. I don't run Right of Seeking or Clairvoyance very much when mm-hmm. I play solo either. Yep. So, 
Yep. Let's move on. Peter, do you want to take us to the next of these? Yeah, I absolutely would love to. Okay, we have Blur. This is a rogue and a mystic asset. It is two cost, uh, level one. It has an agility icon and it has a spell trait. Uses three charges. Action, if Blur has charges remaining, evade. For this evasion attempt, you may use willpower instead of agility and you get plus one skill value. If you succeed, spend one charge, and you may take an additional action this turn. If you succeed by zero, take one damage, and it uses the arcane slot, naturally. And then for level four blur, uh, we gain the willpower icon. Uh, We get four charges rather than three, and we get plus two skill value. If you succeed, spend one or two charges, and you may take that many additional actions this turn. If you succeed by zero, take two damage. So follows pretty much the same pattern as the other ones. We only get one mm. extra charge, but that amounts to four additional actions for playing this card. <laughs> this is you know, <laughs> you know how I said actions are like the best thing ever. <laughs> I'm gonna go ahead Arrest and my case. <laughs> yeah, you know, I'll rest it right here. Doubly so, I would argue, when what you're doing is evading. I adore Miss Aurelia for that reason, because so often when you're taking an evade action, the next thing you need to do is be like, okay, Mm -hmm. now I probably need to get away from this enemy that I'm choosing not to attack for whatever reason. So being able to move is really great. This is even better because you could move or you could investigate underneath the enemy and then get out. But like the fact that you're kind of on your heels, you need to evade and then probably get on with the rest of your turn. That extra action is huge, I would argue. Mm. I, I really, really agree. I, I think it's. I think this is really interesting because the evasion spell assets are the ones that are the hardest just to, to justify putting in your deck mm-hmm. because it's outside of certain situations. It's likely to be the, the thing you spend the fewest actions doing over the course of the game. You know, depending on the scenario, depending on who you're playing. Um, and I'm sure all Finn players are going to come for me right now. <laughs> this, rather than really boosting uh, your your chances to evade, this makes it more worthwhile evading or really helps you exactly like you say, Sean, in those situations where you've got a location with an enemy you need to get in and find a clue on uh, or a enemy has appeared at your location and you need to do something before you, you move away. And now all the Finn players are cheering for you. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and that you know the one downside I would say for mists is when you reveal you pull that enemy off mythos, and you're going to evade it. You're going to get the clue at your location. And you're going to move, mm-hmm. and you're like, "Oh no! Uh, do I take an attack of opportunity to investigate first, and then I do the evade, and the mists moves me away, or do I mist and move away, and I'm giving up this VP? Or you know, it gets fiddly in that way. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Blur just seems to be like, well, hey, what if the evade is a free action for you? I'll just give you that, and then you can go about your day. I think it's incredible. It feels like such a theme home run with Blur Level 4 that one evade becomes two actions. That feels so roguish that you start to actually get, you know, come out on top in terms of actions rather than come out equal. You, you, you play really this cool. in, like, that skids build with two pickpocketing and a lucky cigarette case, and you yeah. play on the hunt, yeah, yeah, yeah. and you're like, right, well, quid's in. I've got a six-action turn for, <laughs> for <Yeah>. drawing this <laughs> enemy. Um, shout out to Veronica, by the way, again, because she announced Blur, the first card she's announced to the community, Blur Level 4, and I know that she was super excited about that. And yeah, we wanted to do all the spells in one bunch, which is why we didn't talk about that with her. But um, yeah, I know that she's really fond of it. Um, so I have a crazy 
build, <laughs> which is Leo Anderson Blur huh. plus the the twenty five automatic, which gives you extra damage against evaded enemies. <laughs> so you and the level that two is weird. then shoot them. The level two one allows you to take the fight action immediately after evading an enemy. So you could evade with Blur, automatically attack them, and you've spent zero actions because you will have got the the evade back from Blur. And I just love the idea of Leo, you know, the sort of gruff gentleman that he is, for some reason, um, A, using magic to kind of go shimmery, and B, running a tiny gun to shoot someone in the back of the head. I just think it's a... A really cool idea is the yeah. is the name of that deck uh leo anderson quicksilver fox <laughs> that's a good name yeah it should be neo neo anderson neo anderson <laughs> yeah that's good as well. <laughs> that's way better <laughs> also the art by the way with sephana on it is oh. just yeah so good. it's really really good art especially like the the stylization they look like paint smudges which is just mm. perfect for safina to begin with yeah, I yeah. do worry that the Savina in the art is going to take two damage and die, though. <laughs> yeah, yeah, <laughs> scary for her. And the other thing that's that's pretty cool about this in the level four is it's also obviously extra actions in Mystic, which I think is not to be sniffed at. Obviously, it's expensive to get there, but in terms of XP, but yeah, to have this to be a sort of enemy management Mystic, and your first action is evade an enemy, and you're then looking at a four action turn to start killing it setting up with your combat spells whatever that is is yeah really cool and of course if you don't need to do that you could just spend one charge as well you can control how many actions play out if you just wanted to make it action neutral by my read of it you have to spend a charge though right when you mm-hmm. evade if you succeed there's yeah. not yeah there's not an option to just keep using this for the evade and the boost yeah it's it's a weird one in that it it more so than the other ones in this cycle of cards, it operates very differently in the two factions who can take it. Like mm-hmm. in Rogue, it's it's almost just a, an econ card, right? There's a bit of a there's a bit of a, um, a skill value boost there, which is nice, but it almost just reads you know spend two take three actions or, or get three actionless evades basically, mm-hmm. and then four on the other one as well but for mystic you get the choice of using your willpower there as well so it becomes more of an evasion booster in mystic than it does in rogue um so i think more so than the other ones it it kind of it's got a slightly different angle on it mm-hmm. yeah i see what you mean oh the other thing about leo his agility is one Neo. So he's appalling at evading but this allows him to use his willpower, which is one of his two highest stats. Mm-hmm, there was mm-hmm. another detail, which is awesome. Anyway, it's, I know it's a silly <laughs> idea, but there we go. I'll move us on to Earthly Serenity, which is amazing art by Drazenka Kimple. It looks a bit like a Magic Magic the Gathering card, I feel. Mm, yeah. It's it's Goldberry from Lord of the Rings. Why am I so heavy on Lord of the Rings today? I guess, <laughs> I guess I'm trying to flex in, in front of my British friends. <laughs> So this is uh, the final of the four spells in this suite. This is a two-cost, one-XP asset with a willpower icon, Mystic and Survivor. So each of the non-Mystic factions have gained a spell that belongs to them as well as the other, uh, as well as Mystic. Uses four charges. Action, test willpower one. 
For each point you succeed by, you may spend one charge to heal one damage or one horror from an investigator at your location. If you succeed by zero, lose one resource, takes up the arcane slot. And it has a corresponding level 4 version, which is double willpower icons rather than single, has six charges, and the test has now become difficulty zero. So test willpower zero. For each point you succeed by, you may heal, uh, spend one charge to heal one damage or one horror from an investigator at your location. Succeeding by zero loses you two resources now. Can I ask a rules question? Mm-hmm. Does this? Do I spend the charges one by one? Yes. So if I, I had, so. say, a stupor and mm-hmm. an ally with one with one damage, and then I had a horror on me, and I succeed by three, I can get rid of the stupor, heal the ally, and then heal myself. Lord, I yeah, hope so. I think so. Yeah, pretty sure. I mean, it, it doesn't ask you to choose a target. You just take the test. You succeed, say, by three. You're like, right, for the first point, I'm doing this. For the second point, that. I, I believe, yeah. Which makes this card insanely good because it hands out healing in a, again, completely toggleable way, depending on how much you pass, which is the thing that I think one of the major drawbacks of healing is that it's slow and very focused mm-hmm. and being able to just go, well, I'll take the test and kind of go vumph and do a load of healing. I've seen this in play a few times. I'm actually running this in Daniela mm-hmm. and I'm fine. It like, it is a super useful card. She's paired with Norman. So Norman sometimes needs healing because he's a fragile gentleman. And she also needs healing because she's taking loads of hits. And I just, you know, she smashes that willpower test. She laughs at that willpower test. And normally it's healing three or four combined damage and horror, which is super cool. I feel like this compares incredibly well to the old favourite, like, healing words, mm. which is mm-hmm. just such a terrible card, especially <laughs> when you look at this, which costs one XP, mm-hmm. and a lot of everything else is the same, right? It's They're both two, two resources to play. Mm-hmm. This gets more charges. It can also heal horror. It can heal more in a single action. Mm-hmm. You can spread it out. You can spread it out. Yeah. It's just like sort of better in every conceivable way than healing words for one XP. Yep. I can't remember in one of you guys' recent episodes, I cannot remember if it was Autumn or Veronica, but you were talking about healing in general and, and why the it doesn't seem to be as popular as you would think with how many healing options exist out there in the design space. And Frank, I think you nailed it. Like too slow, too inflexible. And with recent cards, I feel like they've really started to recognize that no one's running these because the pace of the game is too demanding. So let's let's if you're gonna if you're gonna do it, let's make sure you have a lot of options and it can be impactful when it hits. So I, I think that's one of the main reasons that the mirror is is so good and so popular because you chuck that in uh, when you find the soothing melody. Is that the that the that's name? Right. Of it? Yeah. Mm-hmm. So when you find the soothing melody, you're you're throwing that down. You can heal whatever from whoever at your location. And then you're drawing a card back, so it just kind of keeps you rolling. Whereas with this, you throw it down, it's maybe not as as good for your tempo, but it is way more impactful and way more flexible as well. Mm. So, uh, you know, not spoiling anything, but uh, it, I'm just going to say that uh, uh, Edge of the Earth is a little bit on the side of taxing for, for damage and horror. Um, and there's probably a reason that this came out in this expansion. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. There's a sub theme, isn't there about 
taking damage and horror a little bit like Forgotten Age, but rather than just it all being trauma, doing mm-hmm. it in other ways <laughs> and, and making you think about that. Mm-hmm. There is an interesting quirk with this card, which is that the level four version is a test zero, which makes it really easy to pass, mm-hmm. but also makes it more likely that the yep. succeed by two and lose two resources will trigger <laughs> because hitting an auto fail or hitting any big negative modifier that drops your stat to, to zero will trigger that because mm-hmm. the because of that zero break point yep whereas with one it's a lot harder to succeed by one exactly you when you fail um if you draw a tentacle you don't succeed by zero on the level one version so yeah kind of a cool cool i think unintended quirk um because obviously having a difficulty zero test is amazing on on a a, a test you want to smash but okay. yeah there's a smaller better chance of losing the two so we also run drawing thin <laughs> I was I was going to add to what, what Sean was saying earlier that the one of the problems with healing is it's so easy to compare it to cards that can soak. So some you know, of us have even made spreadsheets of saying some of us have, <laughs> um, and I'm sure we, it's something we can dive into in more depth in the future. But you, you've always got to compare a healing card which you have to play after you've already sustained the damage or the horror, which typically doesn't provide you a benefit beyond removing the damage or the horror you've already you've already sustained unlike a soak asset which typically has another ability on it we talked about in every other episode (laughs) in our second looks we talked about the composure assets which Mm. have Mm. always have a total of four soak across them for zero cost and give you a, a a benefit of two two plus one in two stats it's almost like even if you're just using that as a soak, it's good because that's sort of for mm. healing you've got. If you can if you can assign all the damage to it uh, or the horror to it, rather than having to heal it afterwards, it's just way better than any healing card that we've got. Yeah, because so, so it, I think that the like Sean said, when the power the power of healing really needs a boost, uh, it needs to be providing other benefits. It needs to be mm-hmm. efficient in terms of actions you spend doing it for it to be appealing over just I'll put a leather coat in instead of putting healing words in. Because because ultimately the problem is until you're on one sanity or one health, sanity and health are just resources that you can spend. Yeah, exactly. Uh, so yeah. the more of it you have, the more you have it to spend. Um, so you can either just have it with an asset or you can claw it back with healing. Uh, mm-hmm. And if you're going to claw it back, it better claw back a lot. Exactly, yeah. If you if you if you played a second wind, well, actually, maybe that's a bad example because I don't think that's a terrible card. If you play like an emergency aid, if you didn't didn't end the scenario with one health left, it was sort of wasted because yeah, you're Zoe and you heal from five damage to three damage and you finish the scenario with six health left. Yeah, what was the point in doing that? I didn't get any other benefit <laughs> other than spending two actions to annoy card, Peter. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> you should feel bad, Zoe. <laughs> yeah. So yeah, I, I'm, I'm not I'm not poo pooing like healing at all, and I think it's it's good to see both the encounter design start to adapt to the fact that we we, we should be putting healing in our deck by having other impacts on us mm. from having health and damage or having suffered health or damage or other cards that you need to heal to be able to get rid of. And I think we want to slightly bump up how potent healing is as well to make it worth the actions. Mm. And I think this yeah. this probably does that. I'm sure people will also have creative uses for a zero difficulty test in their decks as well. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. 
Yeah, there's something to be said as well for healing being reactive. Like, broadly speaking, we like cards that are reactive, that you only need to deploy them when the situation arises rather than being punished for not seeing them early, which obviously is the issue with Soak. But actually, in the particular case for health and sanity, even if you see Soak late and you're nearly dead, as long as the damage and horror you're taking isn't direct, mm-hmm. the soak still it doesn't care. It doesn't need to be there at the beginning of the scenario. Yeah, it's completely so, symmetrical yeah, that way. Yeah, it really is. It really is. Unless you can't soak, say, enough, but then there are so many things that can soak. And I've even had scenarios where something I really don't want to soak with, like an ally, I'm still willing to kill it off, or like a holy rosary, if that is the difference between succeeding or failing at a scenario. Mm-hmm. So yeah. Um, the final thing I'd say about Earthly Serenity is in that blob game that I've mentioned a lot in the second looks, our Akachi player was running Earthly Serenity, mm-hmm. partly because she was running Synergy, partly because you get seven charges, and partly because she was willpower six for most of the scenario. So I think every time she used this, it was a sort of four heal across the entire party in the blob. And there's a lot of damage and horror given out in that scenario. And just for her with any kind of down action to just top up everyone was amazing she even i think used spirit speaker to pick it back up and play it again it only costs two like what a steal for cost as well to just be like oh hey do you want me to heal another seven sure god if you're running something like robes or or anything that helps defray that cost yeah (laughs) yeah nothing i think the uh, we uh, spirit seeker we haven't mentioned all the way through but i think you know we've got a, a card there which has nine charges on it (laughs) <laughs> in, in one of the assets yeah. we've looked at so yeah i think it's yeah it's a uh, it's the certainly um might give her a bit of juice some of these cards wait is that the best cost to, to charge cost ratio? for nine yeah probably so she gets seven resources out of it it's nearly as good as unscrupulous loan wow <laughs> <laughs> i know she she puts 10 in so she gets eight eight resources out of it. if you i don't think i ever well i've rarely used that ability of turning the charges into resources but Nice to have the yeah, option to do that. Yeah, in the right moment. Yeah. Normally at this point of the episode, we would say we now have some multi-class cards to look at. <laughs> but we have we can go a step better with you, Sean, because we're gonna fire some multi multi-class cards. Omni-class again. cards. Exactly. We have five of these. Would you like to read us prophetic? I sure would. As it's the one I've used most. So prophetic is a level three guardian mystic and survivor card uh it is an asset it is three cost it has two willpower icons it is talent traded it uses two resources replenish these resources at the beginning of each round or sorry at the start of each round i misread that resources on prophetic may be spent to pay for fortune spell or spirit cards and then free triggered action during a skill test on a fortune spell or spirit card. Spend one resource from Prophetic. You get plus one skill value for this test. Amazing. Peter, do you want to read us Sleuth? Oh, God. Should I just read what the difference is? Please do. <laughs> so this Sleuth is a Guardian, Seeker, and Mystic asset. And it has two intellect icons. And rather than fortune spell or spirit cards... It applies the same bonus to resources to be spent on charm, tactic, or tone cards. Then we have Bruiser, which is Guardian, Rogue, and Survivor. It has two combat icons. And then this allows you to pay for armor, firearm, or melee cards, or also get boosts for 
tests on those cards. John, do you want to do... Oh, graphic? that makes me next, doesn't it? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I swear I can do a, a simple sequence of order. Um, so Crafty is Seeker, Rogue, and Survivor. Uh, it's got two agility icons and works on insight, tool, or trick cards. And then finally... And finally, the guy from Quick Study is back on a piece of oh, art. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I don't think it is the same person, but it's another clever child. <laughs> finally, we've got Antic... Antiquary, which is a Seeker, Rogue, and Mystic traits. It has a single wild icon, and its uh, benefits can be spent, its resources can be spent on favor, relic, or ritual cards. Right, I'm going to lay these, these five out in front of me, so I've got them. I can, I can review them all at once. First of all, a big caveat to listeners. These are probably some of the most challenging cards <laughs> to review and talk about. You could likely can... do an episode on each of these. <laughs> absolutely. Absolutely. So if you're hoping that we're going to name the specific investigator that you've thought of an amazing deck for, I'm really sorry, but you might be disappointed. So just to, to put that out there at first, because this is I found it really daunting trying to even begin thinking about them. And all I will say is that I'm really glad we're second looking rather than first looking, because <laughs> if I was opening a pack for the first time and seeing these, I think... There would just be a lot of kind of strangled noises as I tried to compute what to do with these. Can I start off with a really lukewarm take? Mm. All of these cards are, uh, and this also applies to all of the spell assets we just looked at, are nice if you're running a synergy deck. Because they, mm. they expand horizontally the number of classes you can take. You only need access to one of the three. You can even take one that has two other classes you aren't able to access at all. And mm-hmm. bingo, that might have popped you straight up to four, easily four, four um, classes in your in your deck. So you're playing as Roland, and you take Bruiser, which gives you Rogue and Survivor as your synergy, and you've already got access to Seeker as Roland. So you're suddenly at synergy four, having played Bruiser and a Magnifying Glass. I mean, I don't know that investigator in particular, but but yeah, I'm sure you're right. <laughs> Very good. Yeah, so. We talked about this a little bit, Frank, so sorry to, to ambush you with our well-developed takes, Sean. Mm. But <laughs> what was running through my head when I thought about this is is what kind of investigator in general wants to take these cards? And to me, it comes back to sort of three, three key um, features. The first is you want to play a lot of events related to one of the traits, and or assets related to one of the traits. You want to take a lot of tests on one of the relevant assets or events, or both. Um, ideally both. Because <laughs> then, then it becomes, it becomes um, it, it, it pays for it. It's, it's easier to get it to pay for itself. And especially if you start mixing in things like recursion. Mm-hmm. The one that, that kind of made me think about it in this way i was planning a min deck which uses the uh, the improvised events so that's improvised weapon impromptu barrier and winging it all of which are tactics so you can play them all with sleuth <laughs> check the grid <laughs> <laughs> those are all events which they cost one to play, so straight away you can you can use one of your resources to play for it. You're, re- you're recurring them, so they're coming through your deck quite often, and they all have a test on them. 
so so sleuth like hits all three of those 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 criteria I was talking about. That's the kind of space I was getting into. Someone who's doing that kind of thing, playing a lot of one type of event that matches one of the ones on the card. You know, I think think it's it's a really nice home for them there. I sort of felt like I rambled a bit there. <laughs> uh, this is a podcast. I yeah, I mean, I I definitely agree with everything you said. I think you know kind of what you're laying out is that the biggest hurdle is that this is this does nothing by itself you are spending an action and three resources to augment other things that you're doing so if you're going to do that and spend three xp on it you want to make sure you're you're getting good value out of what you've spent a lot of effective resources on so you want to be able to use these resources pretty regularly if not every turn yeah and i'll add to what what we both said there the boost is both flexible for skill value and cost. Mm-hmm. So if you're playing a winning it, um, which costs one and then has a skill test on it, if you have a strong economy already set up and you can afford to pay for it, it becomes an extra boost on the skill test if, if that's what you need. Mm-hmm. What Frank had mentioned to me is that Nathaniel might be wanting to play a lot of spirit events. Same thing applies to him. They typically don't have skill boosts built into them mm-hmm. uh, so if he takes prophetic he's like predicting where his opponent's going to try and land a punch and dodging out of the way <laughs> you might be more tempted to, to put those resources into the into the skill tests rather than actually paying for the cards mm-hmm. um, but you know you've, you've got the option there to pay for the cards as well well that's interesting because that makes them somewhat comparable to the level four talents that we get out of well the upgraded ones that we got out of the core set uh, yeah. like your like your arcane studies studies, studies. okay yeah i'm laughing never... because i said exactly this to, <laughs> i said exactly <laughs> this to frank and, and you pay four xp for those right mm-hmm. I, I know i've spoke to people who've used those cards who would say they almost only spend the recurring resources on them they don't even need to put in their own resources i mean the option is always there but especially with something like arcane studies you're most of the time spending those resources to boost up your value to pass a test on a on a on a spell asset mm-hmm. um, maybe even a, a a spell event that you're playing prophetic again suddenly like you know it's it's doing what arcane studies level 4 does but at 1 xp less <laughs> yeah it really is serving a, a similar function the one downside to these ones is that you can't spend resources out of your pool for that skill test uh whereas you know the the other talents you can but, you know, obviously a trade-off because then you can just pay for cards that you would otherwise be spending your resources out of your pool. So mm-hmm. they're they're really interesting. I feel like with each of these, you kind of have to find, like you said, that melange of things you're paying for, things you're testing, and and structure your deck in such a way that you're confident it's going to be on a fairly regular basis. Otherwise, you've just wasted uh, wasted precious, precious resources on getting this in. I think the other way of approaching these as well is thinking about picking one of the traits as your key traits. Mm-hmm. So say you take prophetic and you're playing lots of spells, but then keeping an eye out for fortune and spirit cards as well, in case you find one of those coming into your deck as well. So, you know, for instance, if you're playing Calvin, he's got obviously access to spirit, but also fortune. So, because uh, there's lots of fortune in Survivor, so maybe he's thinking, oh, okay, I can get kind of double duty here. If you're only picking a card and you only have one trait that you're working with, you're going to have to build in a lot of those 
to make that work. And spell is actually, I'd say, probably the broadest application mm-hmm. here. There's lots of spell events, there's lots of spell assets, and there's lots of spell assets that you take tests on, so you can use the boost ability as well. When you compare that to something like Bruiser, say you're running a firearm deck, how many firearms are you going to actually play over the course of a game? I gave an example right at the start of this episode. Look at this amazing, uh, bringing it back round to that sort of Tony firearm style where I'm throwing different guns in. Maybe you get value out of that, but that to me is a best case situation and that most firearm decks are not playing four or five firearms in a game. What you will do with Bruiser there is still get the boost. Yes. So you're say <laughs> I was Peter? definitely yeah. trying to come in with this. And, and I think yeah. that's, that's a really good example to pick because mm-hmm. unlike some other economy cards which give you a bunch of resources, if you draw those late in the game when you're set up, after you've struggled without having your, your resource card early on in the game, it's like, well, I've drawn this hot, hot streak, but I don't need any more money. So I just guess mm-hmm. I'll commit this to a test. If you draw Bruiser later on, it's still got a use. It, it, it transitions from being a card which helps you get a set up to one that gives you mm-hmm. a, a repeatable boost on your skill tests, mm-hmm. which which I think is, is a really nice place for any con card like this to be. Mm-hmm. The other thing I like is that, you know, if you draw this in your opening hand and then you also draw a firearm, you can be like, well, I'll play Bruiser and then I'll use the two resources to play my firearm plus whatever else it costs out of my pool. Mm-hmm. It's kind of just giving you that benefit right off the bat and then in first mythos you draw an enemy <laughs> yeah and you're you're using the the resources from bruiser to boost as well yeah so so what traits are jumping out to people i mean you mentioned spell um are any of the traits jumping out to you off the cards that are going to be you think you're, you're you're packing a lot into your decks um i i do think spirit sticks out uh, a decent amount to me especially in a in a post nathaniel cho world but even things like Ward of Protection are kind of ubiquitous, so that that kind of slots in there. Insight's pretty big. Yeah, I think just about every yellow event is Insight still. Yeah, yeah there's like three now that aren't or something. That's insane. Crazily low. That is very yeah. high saturation for for Insight. For a while, it was just eidetic memory, right? Yep, but that itself is technically <laughs> an Insight, so like we couldn't even yeah. count that one. <laughs> Speaking of Crafty, which has Insight on it, it also has Tool, and we've just seen a lovely Tool, this set, that we want to play over and over again, because um, we're recurring it, and that's Ice Pick. Mm. But interestingly, Ice Pick's worded so that you can't use the resources to boost something that you're boosting with the Ice Pick, unless that happens to be on another Tool. Yeah. But you can't, like, use your Ice Pick to boost your fingerprint kit, but then also pay with Crafty to boost that skill value. Mm-hmm. No, no, Although sorry, you can. Fingerprint kits at all. Yeah, yeah, you can do that, right. But mm-hmm. yeah. you can't just do it off a, off a regular investigate, is what I was mm-hmm. yeah. what I was desperately trying to say. <laughs> <laughs> can I actually flip this question on its head and look at the... I think you've got spell at the top of this pile of most uses. There's so many spells, there's so many options. But I actually want to look at the flip side of that, the least useful ones. And for me, that is, I think, charm, armor... Ritual? And then, and then, yeah, maybe ritual and maybe tome. Because lots of tomes don't... I mean, they're expensive to play, but a lot of them don't trigger actions. Mm-hmm. You know, you think about um, Esoteric Atlas or Old Book of Law. Oh, they, they are actions, but they don't trigger tests because you're not fighting with them. You're kind of set up with them. The only one I can think of is medical texts. And I don't know if you want to run Sleuth to make the medical test, texts test 
better. What What is interesting, though, is that the, th- the ones you've picked are all attached to more useful traits as well. Mm. So you In c- what way more useful? Yeah. Well, so armor was on bruiser, which can give okay. you... Okay, oh yeah, sorry, I see what you yeah. mean, yeah. Yeah, yeah. So, so if, They're if I'm, paired with other traits that are more useful. Well, yeah. I, I might be in a situation where I've taken bruiser because I'm playing as Tony, and I've got my knuckle dusters, obviously, which are melee, and my, my guns, which are firearms. But then I think, ah, well it now might be worth me taking an armor card. Mm-hmm. Um, is the leather jacket or leather coat, whichever one it is, is that an armor? Probably, right? I'm going to look up the whole trait of armor because I'm one I think it's clothing traded, is it? There are so few. The leather jacket is item armor. Leather armor, coat, okay. which is the survivor card, is item armor. And then we can go through all the others really quickly. Armor of Arden, bulletproof vest, enchanted armor, heavy furs, uh, leather coat and protective gear. Yeah, yeah. Level coat, level one. Yeah. So yeah, th- what I'm trying to say is exactly like you said earlier, Frank. You might spot the odd card in the kind of the you know you've got like the off trait yeah, as it were. You've got armor on that one. You know maybe trick on crafty and uh, mm-hmm. fortune on prophetic. Not necessarily cards that you build a deck around, but if if you've got an option between a fortune traded card and another traded card that do similar things, you might be like, well, I might as well take the one I can spend the money on. Mm. And that was that was yeah. interesting for me my first time using Prophetic was the first one I used in a, in a Lily deck. Most of the time when I play a deck, I have the, the XP version mapped out first, so I know what my upgrades are. But my first time through uh, Edge, I decided to play Lily, and I decided to just build level zero and go from there. So when I took Prophetic, it was it was actually kind of a little bit of a guide to what other cards I might want to more more you know readily look at for for an upgrade path. Because now it's like, oh well, I've got I've got this thing going on, so maybe we can pull some more value out of it. I'm not saying that was the right play, but uh, it, it did happen. It gave you like a focus, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Like you say, like a guide. Okay, this is a card I have. So if I can focus on these traits, I'm going to have cards in my deck that will help pay for them and boost me on them. I think that's legit. Yeah. So one that one that sticks out to me now that I'm just looking at these is Antiquary and Favor. Mm. So the favor cards are like you're pressed in like overpay for extra benefits. So the idea that you get two free resources a turn to like pay up a level on on any of those favors is is not nothing. Mm. There are 12 favor cards, 10 of which are rogue and two of which are neutral. <laughs> Calling in favors and call for backup are the neutral ones. They both only cost one and uh, don't trigger tests. And then, yeah, you've got you owe me one, which is free and doesn't have a test. Black Market, which costs one, doesn't have a test. Counter Espionage, which is just the pay more. Decoy, which is pay more. Intel Report, which is pay more. Small Favor, which is pay more. Uh, Underworld Support, which is a permanent <laughs> asset, so you can't pay for it. Untimely tra- Transaction, which is zero cost and doesn't have a test. But then finally, the one that Peter talk- pointed out to me off air, Money Talks. Ooh. Now, hang on. That this doesn't... is a weird one, actually, Peter. Does it work? No. Does it not? They I... don't... It's not a skill test on that card. Ah, they just they respond a to a card. Into... Ah, yeah. Interesting. Okay. Right. Trixie. So, yeah. Yeah. So, yeah, I'd say what the the four favors that you can change the price of kind of jump out to me for that. Mm-hmm. Especially in someone other than Preston, who, you know, obviously yeah. regenerates yeah. anyway. And maybe you're doing something with 
a relic as well, like an ornate bow or a time-worn brand in the rogue you're playing, and then you're also running those favours as well. But yeah, it's a, I think it's an odd one favour in that regard. Like It does jump out to me as having cards that cost a lot of resources, but it doesn't have that second mm-hmm. level of usefulness in terms of the test. Yeah, there's like no tests on, on favours. The other interesting thing is the the assets that have guardian access have pretty decent double icons, so maybe a maybe a decent pull with like a well prepared. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, prophetic two willpower, sleuth two intellect, and bruiser two combat. Yeah, that's nice. I'm always looking for cheeky uses of of well prepared. So, wait, am I thinking? Of, is it well prepared that? Yeah. Okay. Yeah, the man shaving, right? Yes. That's nice. What got me thinking about this is when I built a min deck and I actually identified two that fit in the same deck. Exactly the thing happened that Sean described is I started thinking about when I'd picked the ones I wanted to go in, I started thinking about other cards that wanted to go, want to go in as well. So I, I was planning an ice picks deck, which is a tool, so crafty fits in instantly. But then it struck me that the improvised events, including winging it, they fit in that deck really nicely because you can use your your ice pick on those tests to gain an additional clue. And then you also want sleuth in. And then at that point, you know, you've got charm, so you start to put grizzly, to- grizzly totems in and scroll of secrets in, which is a tome. So you can recur scroll of secrets using scavenging and then replay it with the money off the sleuth. And then obviously, because you're seeker all of your other events are inside events so you could be either be boosting your skill value or you can be paying for the events as well and suddenly like two of them seem to cover pretty much every single card i had in my deck and then if you run both sleuth and crafty your synergy is up to five exactly because <laughs> yes. that's also got guardian mystic rogue and survivor across those two cards yeah yeah and that's a free caravan right there yeah mm. Mm. You don't need the the discount anymore. Strength from, in numbers <laughs> from these cards. Strength in numbers with totem and mint becomes um, the most icons anyone can get on a card. <laughs> <laughs> wow, nice. So this feels like the second look at these cards, but maybe not the last look. And I think the next step would be, yeah, the the sort of delving deeper into particular investigators and how they can really lean into a, a suite of traits or at least several cards what do you think the sort of if we just pluck it out of our heads how many cards in your deck are you hoping to have with the necessary traits to be to make these worthwhile it's a, it's a good question that go on sean i was just gonna say half let's go with half your deck okay <laughs> yeah i was gonna say a third i was gonna go with sort of 10 10 out of 30 i'll say then Two thirds. <laughs> then no. we've covered it. Five <laughs> eighths. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Th- uh, two fifths. Which I but think where this gets a weird. And a third. <laughs> you know, yeah, to go back to the original point as well, because all of these cards have the help you play the asset and then also boost with the asset. You know, um, Peter Offair, you mentioned to me Time Worn Brand. Yeah. And if I play Antiquary and get my Time War brand for two cheaper, and then I've got plus two for my Time War brand every turn. It's that weird thing of like, do I need another um, nine or 14 relics in my deck to feel like that was worth it? I, Maybe I th- not. Yeah, and I think actually that argument 
would have been better made with Bruiser. Mm-hmm. Because I can imagine, I mean, pick a Tony deck off the top of your head. How many firearm and melee cards have you got in that deck? Like, le- yeah, probably five. Less than yeah. ten. Probably yeah. between five and ten, I would say. Mm-hmm. Or four yeah. and ten. But Bruiser still doesn't seem too bad in that deck, just because of yeah. the skill boosts. And yeah. maybe a little bit of help playing playing the cards in terms of resources. So, mm-hmm. depending on how often you're going to use the related assets, I think maybe the cards look a bit more appealing. Like, for instance, Crafty is far less appealing viewed by that metric <laughs> because you're going to get far less use out of it. Bruiser, much more appealing. Mm-hmm. Now, some of them are a little bit more tailored to event suites and some of them are a little bit more tailored to, to asset suites. And then there's there's a little bit in between. But yeah, I think... Yeah, as we said, it helps you set up and it helps you keep going. And depending on what what your target suite looks like, um, then then the different ones have have different values. Do you guys think you ever take two of of any of these, or is it the sort of thing where you you just throw one in your deck if you find it great? If you don't, then you know you're already doing things. Mm. I think you do if you're building that deck that's going to make use of it, and it's your first six XP. But if you're just using it as a this will smooth out my resource curve and help me with a few tests, maybe it's that cheeky final 3xp. Mm-hmm. But I mean, that's a more philosophical question about <laughs> should you always run two of everything? Mm. What were you going to say, Peter? I was going to say, yeah, you take two. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. More free take resources. Four. Is, yeah, yeah. yeah, as many yeah. as you want. More free resources is more good. And they all have decent icons. They, I mean, double yeah. icons on all of them, right? So that's, uh, except for Antiquaries, just got a wild. Yeah. It's a shame there's not one that helps you play Talents. And you can use <laughs> that to play, play all the rest of them. <laughs> Talentception. <laughs> Final thing to add is their 3 XP, which means obviously they're gated to each person's main class, which is great. But also, Lola can take any and all of them. Mm-hmm. And... And lose them all in one crisis of identity. (laughs) Yeah, (laughs) that gives her access to a lot of different ways of boosting and, as we've already pointed out, access to synergy really easily. And there is definitely a wild Lola deck out there probably running two different ones of these. God, someone point me at it because I, I tried building it and I failed like twice and then tried the third time. I'm like, I'm gonna get back to this. And then I tried to build a Lola sled dog deck (laughs) <laughs> play play one standalone with it and realize that I didn't like sled dogs as much as I thought I would. So then just went back to doing kind of like a different Lola thing. So if someone really figures out Synergy Lola, I want to see it. Oh, well, I'll send you a link to at uh, a recent event I ran. There were two Lolas in one event and Ooh. one of them was Syner- Synergy Lola. Yeah. The other was like Dark Horse Gesh Lola. So mm. like put all your stats to five. Don't break your promise and have a laugh. <laughs> I dig it. The, the final thing I'd say is we did do an episode on talents, Peter, a long time ago, and we talked about them as almost like, in a role-playing game, kind of passive character attributes. Mm-hmm. You know, they're sort of these abilities you put down that modify your character, but maybe not actively. And I do like how these adjectives or nouns, depending on the card do give you a some kind of like a weird flavor to your character. So like being a bruiser Tony, it you kind of get what you're about at that point, that you're a bruiser. If you're a crafty 
Rita, you're playing your tricks more cheaply and passing this. I just like that there's that sort of role-playing element to these names. It kind of makes it clear, okay, that person's good at that thing, which I just think is a nice little extra theme. And it steers you down, down the route of using those cards as well, which is a, yeah. it's a kind of it's a feedback loop. You're crafty, therefore you're using more, more tricks, and you're using more tricks, therefore you're crafty. Yeah, yeah, exactly. You're an antiquary, you use more relics. You ever think that MJ just sits down some days and has a lot of fun with a thesaurus? <laughs> <laughs> just with, with different traits and descriptions, just... Yeah, I'm sure. That, that, that reminds me of something Frank and I talked about the other day, which was how Liquid Courage and Tennessee Salmash are in principle, very similar items. Mm-hmm, it's both mm-hmm. like a container full of strong alcohol, but have very different effects in the game, such that the same person might never ever want to take both cards in their deck unless they're doing some kind of thematic thing. Mm-hmm. Mm. Which kind of reminds me of that. It's like a very, very close in name, but very far apart in effect. <laughs> You could even have a player who says, ooh, a willpower test, I'll take a swig of this liquid courage. And you'd be like, you're not running liquid courage. Oh, I meant this Tennessee sound. <laughs> there is liquid courage, but not the card liquid courage. Mm-hmm, yeah. Mm-hmm. So that brings us to the end of this, the sixth second look. Sean, what card of this strange selection is jumping out to you as your favorite, if you Ooh. had to pick one? Oh, boy. If I had to pick one... Like the most, the or most, two. the uh, or two. Okay, all right. Well, we'll go with two. The fir- the most basic one that sticks out to me is Brand of Cthulhu. Uh, I, I think that one's just the easiest to love. Mm. Uh, and then beyond that, Blur. I think Blur is is if not at the top of the heap, it is in the the top section of the heap on evade assets that that do something for you. Yeah, totally agree. Sorry, my mystic is showing. <laughs> Peter, how about you? I mean, I would have picked Blur, so Sean has saved me, saved me that, that trouble. I think I'm going to go with maybe Prophetic and Sleuth. Mm-hmm. Just because I can see, I can fit them into decks pretty quickly. Um, I think there's, there's decks I've got right now, which I'd be like, yeah, I'd, be, I'd slot that in. And I really want to give the, these talents a try and, and see how they feel on the table. Because um, I've not had that much of a chance to play with them yet. Mm-hmm. There, there are a lot of XP to get them <laughs> into your deck, so I've, I need to be burning through campaigns to be able to start slotting them in. So yeah, those are the two that, that I think I, I'm looking at first playing. How about you, Frank? Mm, yeah, I would say about the talents, just finally on that. Oh, he's finally, always got to come in with some final yeah. thought. I just, wait, it's not quite the case here. I was going to say it's a new skill booster, but of course we had the composures in this box. So it's not like they've done away with just pay resources to boost your stats. But if you're having new ways of having recurring resources pay for things that isn't simply plus one combat, plus one willpower, or, you know, they've also tried different number ratios, pay two for plus three or whatever it is. I think that's really cool to have other ways of paying to boost. Mine is Earthly Serenity, to answer your question. I just think a really fantastic way of doing healing. Also like to, to care about the person passing the test because how much they pass by matters is really cool, I think. Like, you get invested in, oh, they're going to heal me, thank you. So, yeah, that's that's for me. So, Sean, how can people get in touch with you if they want to um, praise you for your takes or 
delight in you coming over to the dark side. Oh, is that how the internet works? It's all praise, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> if you'd like to, to get a hold or interact with me in any way, uh, I do do the Mythos Busters podcast along with a few friends. I am a mod on the Mythos Busters Discord, uh, so you can find that at discord.gg slash mythosbusters. And then as well, I, uh, I, I do enjoy the, the occasional video game. So if you want to add me as a friend on, uh, on PlayStation Network, I'm at NPC421. Hit me up for some Bloodborne. I, w- I will play Bloodborne for no reason. <laughs> Does the Mythos Busters have any events coming up maybe in 2022? Oh, that's that's kind of you to remind me to 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 prop my own stuff. <laughs> yes. So the the other big thing that I, I would definitely want to mention and would never dream of forgetting to mention is that uh, in 2022 we are going to be running BusterCon. So it's the first annual, well, we're hoping annual event. It's going to be an Arkham LCG specific convention uh, that we're running at the former FFG event center now affectionately called well it's called the game zenter but we're affectionately calling it ffz or ffz uh, uh, i suppose as as it were so this is a tribute to drawn to the flame zone arkham and flames <laughs> uh, of course of course <laughs> yeah okay cool thank you <laughs> so yeah so, so we're gonna be running the event it's gonna be have a, a ton of of arkham specific uh things going on but the the capstone event of course is iron man uh that we've been running every year up to this point during arkham nights uh where we sit down and like madmen and mad women and mad nbs i suppose uh we sit down and we play an entire arkham campaign in one day and uh, this year's, or sorry, next year is going to be Dream Eaters. So it's going to be, it's going to be a hoot. Double the decks. Yeah. Double the fun. Double the yeah. decks, double the fun. Great. So that's going to be May uh, 12th through, I have to, I have to look at my dates again. To the 15th. Yep. 12th through the, oh boy, thank you, Frank. <laughs> 12th through the 15th. Uh, more details to come. Um, so if you want to check that out, pay attention to our website. That's just mythosbusters.com. Great. Thank you so much for joining us, Sean. It's been an absolute pleasure. Despite what the internet says, we are actually quite good friends. (laughs) Thank you. Thank you both for for having me, of course. I always laugh when kind of newcomers to the community who weren't there for like the initial ha 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 chuckle, you know, ribbing that we had. Uh, I think it was, uh, I don't mean to, to point out Jeff, but we know Jeff very well. So I feel like he can take it. I remember at a certain point he mentioned listening to you guys saying something about Mythos Busters and then came over to Mythos Busters and we said something about Drawn to the Flame and he legitimately thought that there was like real life animosity. (laughs) Yeah, real beef. That is so funny. But yeah, I suppose when you present irony as as real things, that can happen. (laughs) We did it too successfully. (laughs) Well, thank you so much for having me. I'd be delighted to come back if you ever ever want me to rave about Mystic Cards or or Sign Magic Level 3. (laughs) <laughs> cool so if you want to get in touch with us we're drawn to the flame podcast at gmail.com we're drawn to the flame everywhere on social media and you can also become a patron of the cast we're drawn to the flame on patreon thank you very much for listening to all six second looks bye thank you bye <laughs> definitely all six it's normal <laughs> I don't know, I've got a... What time is it? Half four. It's pitch black here, um, but I, I have got a beer in the fridge. I don't know whether it's too early to crack that out. What do you think, Frank? Oh, stop.
I'm, I could also get a beer. <laughs> it's 10.30 a.m. Don't tempt me. <laughs> <laughs> I even, I've got a special um, uh, New England Pale Ale as well.